tonight I'm going to go through all the questions that you guys had uh, previously sent me. A lot of the questions had um, to do with foreclosures, auction properties, um, wholesale deals. So we'll, we'll go over all of them. And then put in the comment section or the chat box if you guys have any other questions. I want to start um, the Q&A by talking about appraisals. I got a question today about uh, appraising the properties or getting the after repair value um, during this pandemic. And I, I want you guys to take some notes here because this, this stuff is very important. And so um, I'm, I've got a property that I'm renovating now. All right, Clinton says he's grateful to be here this evening. Good, Clinton. I am too. So I'm renovating a property now. And I think I told this story last week. I, when I um, started renovating the property, um, I had to submit um, you know, my draw schedule, my scope of work, what I thought the property would appraise for um, when I sold it, um, what it appraises for now. And so this particular property, the ARV, when I purchased the property, it was about 600000 Now, because the market is so hot right now, things are changing rapidly. I, I read a report um, about two days ago where it said nationwide property values um, are appreciating at about 15%. Here in our area, in the DMV, they're appreciating at about 20%, which means you buy a property today, five years from now, if we keep the same rate of appreciation, um, it should double in value in five years. And so I'm almost finished with this project. Ran the comps when I bought the property, 600. A house two doors down is on the market now. Same exact footprint, same exact square footage, bedrooms, bathrooms, everything. The property is on the market for $660,000. And I believe after the first day they got a contract on, I was over there Saturday and there was a stream of agents with their buyers in going into the house. I had my big sign out in the front yard and they were coming over to me asking me about my property. And so you just have to be careful, especially if you're flipping properties. If you're flipping properties, just be conscious of the fact that the, the price you think you can sell that property for when you purchase the property may be different from when you sell that property. So that's for people who are fixing and flipping. Wholesalers, as I mentioned, as I mentioned to you during this market, in this market, you can get top dollar. Now, you, you guys are wholesaling at 65% of the after repair value minus repair costs and selling those properties or assigning those properties at 70%. I would test the market out a little bit with cash buyers. I'm, I'm even buying a little higher than the 70% because I know how fast the market is, is going. I'm paying you know, wholesalers more than I ordinarily would because I know just how the market is. I know by the time I renovate the property, it's going to go up in value. So just be conscious of that. I've, I've been getting a lot of questions about values. Now, it's just because, you know, we're in a seller's market is high demand and little supply. So prices go up. Um, sellers are on the winning side. Investors are on the winning side. 
And so we just have to re remember that. It's a hot market. It's great for um, wholesalers, this market, you guys. It's great for fix and flippers. You know, when, I, when, when my agents talk to me about having a hard time getting ratified contracts, I, I start salivating because I'm thinking in my mind, I need to hurry up and get my, my properties renovated. I need to get more properties so I can fix and flip. Um, I actually wholesaled a property not too long ago and got top dollar for it. I got $90,000 on a wholesale fee just because I knew what the marketplace looked like. And this was recent. I knew, I, I knew what it looked like and I knew that the um, cash buyer was going to buy and I was in a dilemma. Should I renovate the property myself um, and probably make on that one $120,000 on a flip, but make that in about nine months? Because that one needs a full renovation. <clears throat> it's in the Trinidad section of um, Washington D.C. Or should I wholesale it and try to get ninety? I tr I tried to wholesale it to get ninety in three weeks, and I was able to get that. <clears throat> so for me, that was a no-brainer. And so be conscious of the market, you guys. Be conscious of your numbers. You've got to get out there and find the deals find the deals. You've got to get out there and find the deals um, to make money. You just can't sit idly by doing nothing. You've got to put in the work. And so when we talk about putting in the work as a real estate investor, the work, the work is the marketing. And that's where a lot of investors fail because they don't market consistently. And if you're able to find leads, find the motivated sellers, negotiate, um, get these motivated sellers on the contract, you're, you're going to make a lot of money and you're going to change your life. You're going to change your, your family's life. You're going, to, you're going to build generational wealth. So I just put it in my mind, really, no matter what the market is, that I've got to find deals. Like I've got to put in the work. I'm on a hunt for deals every single day. Like, the investor that can find the most deals is going to make the most money because you find the deal. Now you've got options. You've got um, your exit strategy um, for every deal for me is should I wholesale the property? Should I flip the property? In some cases, should I hold the property and rent it out? So you've got those strategies with no deals, no strategies. All right. So let's answer some of the questions. All right. So first question is, how does Hubzoo and auctions work as a wholesaler and, and I am not the cash buyer? All right. And so I, we talk about this all the time. I'm going to take a deep dive into this um, at our next um, podcast, which is actually tomorrow. I'm going to talk um, about um, how to buy foreclosures, how to buy auction properties, how to buy short sales. But um so you want to get in touch with a cash buyer first. You want to identify some properties in your area, properties where you think um, you can bid on and get a good deal. Talk to your cash buyers first, unless you're extremely confident in yourself and you've done a number of properties that you can put that property um, under contract for the right price and then um, be able to wholesale it. I would always do what's called reverse wholesaling which means find the cash buyer first, then, <clears throat> then contact the, um, 
the motivated seller. In this case, it's going to be the bank. And so the question is actually hubs it. And so you go online to bid, but first you go take a look at the property. Now, what's good about Hubzu is you actually get to go inside the property. And so you get to go inside the property. In most cases with Hubzu, you can see inside the property. A lot of auction properties you can't. Hubzu, you can. Now, I would stay away from, on all auctions, I would stay away from um, properties that that's um, owner-occupied, that's occupied by either the owner or the tenant. Um, and last night, and someone asked me this question earlier today, this morning, should they go into a property or should they bid on a property where it's already occupied? I generally stay away from those, especially in a COVID environment. But if you can knock on the door and just ask what their intentions are, um, they'll, they already know that the house is up for auction. Um, they've been notified whether they're the tenant or not. And whether they're the tenant or not, and just ask them, what are your intentions? The house is getting ready to go up for auction. Do you plan on staying here as long as you can and, and fighting eviction? Or do you have a place to move to? Or can I give you cash for keys? Never go inside, um, but can I, can I give you cash for keys? And if you can negotiate something like that, sometimes you, you know, you, you've got to leg up on the competition. You still have to go to the auction and win the bid. Now, in terms of winning the bid on an auction, we, we use the formula for a cash before a wholesaler at 65% of the after repair value minus repair costs. On an auction property, you guys, write this down. On an auction property, we don't use 65% if we're, if we're a wholesaler. We use 60% because there's, there's um, things that you're not going to be able to see. Even if you're able to go inside the property, there's um, things that you're not going to be able to see. To be on the safe side, we bid um, 60. If you were to come to me and say, um, Greg, I, I've got a property that I want to bid on. This is the address. I'm going to run the comps. And then I'm going to tell you, hey, I'll, you can wholesale this deal to me, but don't bid over. 120,000 or don't bid over 150. If you can get it at 150 or below, you can, um, I'll, I'll pay you a wholesale fee on that. So you want to communicate with your cash buyer. The other thing is you guys, when you're bidding on these properties and you guys have heard me say this before, you want to make sure that you put the property in the name of an LLC that you don't necessarily own because you've got to assign that LLC. You can win. Uh, if I tell you 150,000, don't go over it and you bid 150,000 or below and win. If you want, you can go ahead and put it in my name. But if not, then you need to put it in what I call a generic LLC, a generic LLC. Um, which, which simply, which simply means um, you're going to create an LLC that you can then assign to a cash buyer. And so I don't want you to win in either your personal name or win in an LLC that you own the LLC and you've got other, say, properties in that LLC. Because if you assign me that LLC, 
Now I own all your property. So you've got to create an LLC um, to, to, um, to bid on. And so hopefully I answered that question. All right, so Troy, I haven't sold the property yet. Actually, it actually, I'm, I'm actually wholesaling that property closes this Friday. And so, um, so yeah, we'll get, I'll get the wholesale fee and then they're going to have to, they'll, it'll probably take them, I don't know, three or four months just to get permits on that property. And then it's on Neal street in uh, Trinidad. And then, um, they'll, they'll probably put it up for sale. I would assume, um, late summer. And then it, it should sell for around 850900 that property, around 850900 All right, next question. Uh, I think I may have answered this question, but let me ask it. I mean, let me read it. I understand this is not advisable, but to buy occupied property at this time due to, due to the pandemic, but can you negotiate and offer up to three months rent for a tenant to get them out should you decide to buy the property. And so the question is, should you buy a property with a tenant in there and let the tenant stay in the property for three months? The answer is not no. The answer is hell no. We're not leaving a tenant in there for three months. Guess what's going to happen when that three month period is up? Even if they've paid you money, guess what's going to happen? It's going to be hard to get them out. Let me tell you a quick, quick, quick story. And so I bought a property um, in DC. The, um, the uncle inherited the property. It was, it was, um, I think it was his sister, his sister's child um was staying in the property and so the uncle said well can you buy the property from me leave my nephew in there once i sell you the property i'll take some of the funds give it to him to my nephew and in 30 days he'll he'll find a property i'll help him find a property and, and he'll leave and so it was in a really really nice area of northeast dc um i love the property Great, great, great deal. Great, great, great deal. So this was many years ago. I said, yes, we'll, we'll keep him in there. You sign a, um, an agreement with me. He'll be out in 30 days. He paid, the, the uncle paid me the rent, closed the deal. Nephews went, um, stayed in the property. Uncle gave nephew his, his money to move out. <clears throat> 30 days came, nephew wouldn't move out nephew refused to move out nephew refused to move out of the property and he he was a little upset that the house was left to his uncle instead of to him so he refused to move out and my only option was to get him evicted that was my only option and as you guys know, cities like New York, like Philadelphia, like Atlanta, like DC is tenant friendly. And so that was gonna hold my project up. I'm already held up 30 days. That was gonna hold my project up 
who knows? If he if he was to get a really good um, landlord tenant attorney, he could have probably stayed in that property for a whole year. So, um, so this is what I did. No, no it, it actually wasn't me. It actually wasn't me. It was a good friend of mine. This this it was a good friend of mine. And so this was a good friend of mine. This is what he did. Took out all the windows, it was in the summertime, took out all the windows, turned off all the utilities, the water, electric, um, still wouldn't get out. Then a good friend of mine one day had his contractors just come and start demoing the property. Just started demoing the property. And he finally left. Finally left after we taken out all the windows, turned off all all the water, the electric. It was in it was it was in July and it was hotter than July. And then he finally left. Tenants don't leave. And so we're not buying a property as an investor with a tenant in there. That that's a no no. And I learned I learned my lesson and it held me up. Um, I got through it and you know it's a great deal. And but no. So the answer to the question is, we're not leaving them in there. We don't buy properties with tenants. We don't make deals with them. We don't do any of those things. As a matter of fact, most lenders won't allow you, won't allow you to even purchase a property with a tenant in there. And so don't do it. Don't, don't ever, never, ever, never, ever. I don't care how great the deal is. If they get a good lawyer, they can easily be in, the, be in the property for a whole year, easily be in that property for a whole year. Now you're held up. Your loan is due in six, in six months. Your loan is due in um, sometimes a year. And every time, if, you, if you're using either your line of credit or especially if you're using a hard money lender, they make their money on late fees. A hard money lender makes their, they make their money on late fees. They're hoping and betting that you're going to be late because that's really where they make their money. And so, no, we're not doing that. I see you guys laughing at me. I see you, Allison and Swan and Gina. I see you guys laughing at me. It's okay. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. All right, on on um, on lead generation tools, are we required to sign up? All right, so you guys look, <clears throat> we go over many different ways to find leads, right? Choose one. And so we talk about bandit signs. We talk about um, <clears throat> social media, posting on social media, which you guys should be doing regardless of what you choose. We talk about driving for dollars. We talk about direct mail pieces to absentee owners, to high equity owners. We talk about cold calling, getting a virtual assistant to call absentee owners and you know many, many different lists, pre-foreclosures. We talk about all of those things. We never ever say do all of those things. You're gonna get too confused. Um, just do one, be great at one thing. Let's be great at one thing. Let's start making money doing one thing and then once we start making money with that one thing we keep that and then we choose something else 
And so I was with my platinum coaching students um, Saturday and we were we were at one of our investors properties. And I see you out of BC and her one thing was actually door knocking, walking neighborhoods. She found that property initially walking neighborhoods and then the house became a foreclosure. But because she was walking that neighborhood, she wanted a house in that neighborhood. She walked the neighborhood. One of the neighbors gave her the lead on that property. She talked to that owner. They couldn't negotiate a deal. The, the house, um, it was in pre-foreclosure, went to foreclosure. She went to the auction and actually bought the property. But her one thing really is walking neighborhoods walking that one neighborhood, the Brookland area of, um, of Northeast DC, that's her one thing. Um, some other investors are really good at social media. They're branding themselves on social media and they're, and they're doing a really good job there. That's their one thing. And they're posting every single day. Choose one thing, but make sure that one thing is something that you can consistently do because like i said earlier the investor that can find the most deals is going to make the most money and we when we talk about consistency when we talk about hard work that's the work <coughs> but that's that's um nikki likes social media so nikki you've got to post every day and so that's the mindset that you guys have to have you've got to you've got to pick one thing and be great at it and be consistent with it, knowing that your fortunes change if you can get these deals. Um, I see Allison. Allison um, just just recently found a deal um, on auction, on online auction, and so that's her one thing. Um, one of our investors, Amanda, her one thing is bandit signs, and she just keeps putting out bandit signs, and she keeps getting good deals with her bandit signs. Um, network and I keep getting calls from one of our investors, Gary, who recently retired from the fire department. He his one thing is networking, just networking. He talks to everybody he knows. The whole fire department knows that he's he's um, a real estate investor, and he doesn't. He recently retired. Everybody in his church knows that he's a real estate investor. Um, everywhere he goes, he talks about who he is and what, what he's doing. So he keeps, he, he has a constant flow, he called me today, um, with four deals, you guys, all from networking, talking to people. You guys have to, this real estate investment thing, you guys have to live it. You guys have to breathe it. You've got to think about it every day. You should be thinking right now or asking yourself the question, how am I going to find my next deal? Like That's the question that I ask myself every single day. Where's my next deal going to come from? And what do I need to do in order to get my next deal? Like That needs to be on your mind. And whatever the answer is, you need to take action on it every day because one deal can change your life. If you're flipping a property, um, $15,000, $20,000, $30,000, for some of you guys, it's a game changer. It's not going to change your life really, but it's going to put you in a better place financially now 
and then give you the confidence to keep going and do more. If you're flipping a property, national average is $70,000 a flip. Our area is about 100, 100 a flip in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, in other big cities, it's about 100000 Ask yourself this question, you guys. What would $100,000 do for your life right now? Again, it's $100,000. It's not a game changer, but it'll solve some immediate problems for you. It'll solve some problems, and it also will give you the confidence to get out there and get some more deals. You guys got to talk to people like Gary. You've got to talk to people, and the more people you talk to, the more chance you have to um, to get deals. Oh, Gary's on. I think Gary's on the call. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, he's getting ready to log on. All right, so that's what you guys have to do. All right, here's some sites. Um, here's some good sites for bandit signs. Two good sites. Sign sites. Um, signs on the cheap.com signs on the cheap.com and dirt cheap signs with the nest dirt cheap signs.com signs on the cheap.com and dirt cheap signs a lot of our investors buy them there now one thing that amanda did you guys she made hers stick out so you can get them in different colors different fonts um, hers are different. Hers are hot pink. So she got hot pink um, bandit signs to make hers stand out. And it's and it's really, 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 really worked for her. And she sticks them in high traffic areas, areas where um, you can buy older neighborhoods where you can buy properties low and sell high. So just also um, be strategic on where you put your signs. You want to make sure that you put your signs in, like I said, much, much older neighborhoods, neighborhoods that are 50 years old or older. And, and then um, kind of on busy streets if, if you can, because um, we want to we want to buy low and sell high. Newer neighborhoods, you can't do that. Newer neighborhoods aren't the best for a real estate investor like us. We, we want um, older neighborhoods. All right. Let's see. All right, so invest, a couple of you guys asked for um, investor-friendly title company, and that's a great question because all title companies, you guys, aren't created equal. A lot of title companies, they don't understand wholesale. They don't understand subject to deals, owner financing deals. They don't understand those, those types of deals. And so you want to make sure that you're talking to um, – an investor-friendly title company. Our title company inside of my office, those of you who are local here in a DMV, um, Celebrate Settlement Services. Um, obviously, they're investor-friendly. Uh, we give them all of our deals. Um, they are well-versed in wholesaling, flipping, subject tos, um, you, you name it. Um, they can write the contracts for you. And so Celebrate Settlement Services, um, I would highly recommend them. Um, you don't want to go with the title company. There was, there was a, a deal that we tried to do a couple years ago where the cash buyer insisted on using their title company, but the title company they weren't familiar with um, 
wholesale deals and it was a wholesale deal and they wanted us the title company wanted us to rewrite the contract and you guys can't do this and it's illegal they just didn't understand so we ended up having to use another title company um, to complete the deal so make sure that look everybody on your team who's all on your team agents are on your team contractors on your team cash buyers are on your team um hard money lenders um, joint venture partners, <clears throat> private lenders, um, community banks, title companies. Everybody's on your team. You've got to vet everybody to make sure that they're working or can work to help you achieve your goals. And so you've got to put that list together. Everyone I just mentioned, you've got to put that together um, to make sure everybody's working towards a common goal. And everyone on your teams, their common goal is to help you make a whole lot of money, to help you become filthy rich, to help you um, become like financially free. And so you've got to talk to them. Title company, are you are you investor friendly? If not, we're going to go use this other title company. Your lender, your agent, are you agent? Are, are you used to running comps? I, I'm going to come to you. So that I can get the after repair value, so that I can <clears throat> I can better assess whether I should uh, write a, write a contract on this property or not, and I'm going to base it on the after repair value. And I need you to help me if you're not already a real estate agent. Um, if you are, then you've got to learn how to run comps, and you know that's that's another class that we'll teach, but. Again, all real estate agents aren't created equal. Everyone doesn't know how to run comps, how to get the after repair value. The only reason I even got my real estate license many years ago <clears throat> was because you guys know, most of you guys know my story. I started off a year out of college, started buying properties. Um, and I did that, bought one buy and hold property a year for five years. The agents, they, they didn't really, they weren't assisting me. They were moving slow. Um, they didn't really know how to run comps. I was getting frustrated. And so I said at that time, I'm just going to get my own license. So I'll have access to the multiple listing service. Um, I'll learn how to write contracts. <clears throat> my scripts will be a lot better. Um, so let me just get my real estate license. I had no intentions on selling, but once I got my license a few years later, I said, let me, let me go ahead and sell as well, along with the investing. And so that's what I did. And, you know, just I built a team and a brokerage and all that kind of stuff. But that's the only reason why I even got my real estate license is because the agents were they were moving too slow for me. And so be mindful of that. If you don't have a real estate license, you don't need a real estate license to be a great and wealthy investor. But I would highly advise it. Like I want you to control your destiny. I don't want an agent to control your destiny. You need access, you need the right information. You need to be taught the right information. Um, and, and then aside from that, every real estate brokerage is not investor friendly either. And so you wanna be you know, with an investor friendly brokerage. All right, so a couple, couple other questions. Um, how, how are we finding pre-foreclosures? Uh, there's a number of different ways to find pre-foreclosures, you guys. Um, Red X, the Red X.com. You can go there. 
You can get a list of foreclosures in your area, listsource.com, listability.com, melissadata.com. You can go to those places. Um, but here's what I used to do. In every jurisdiction, there's a legal newspaper. So there's a legal newspaper that there's a requirement by law, every foreclosure has to be advertised in a legal newspaper for at least three consecutive weeks. So I would get the legal newspaper, actually I had a subscription would come every Thursday and I would either, back then I would actually go door knock those um, pre-foreclosed um, sellers. Um, and if they weren't there, I had a door hanger that I would leave at the door. Now, because of technology, you can easily find their phone number through different ways of skip tracing, deal machine, you can use whitepages.com, PropStream, um, Real eFlow. And so there's a lot of technology um, because it, they advertise in the legal newspapers the name, their name, and their address, you know, along with when the, when the um, auction date is. Now, most of these are all um, auctioned off at the courthouse steps. Um, but And then a deposit that you need to bring to, to the auction. So all of, all of that is there. And so a list would, would come, you know, three weeks before in a news, legal newspaper, and that's what I used. But now there's, there's sites, depending on where, where you are. Uh, here in the DMV, there's alexcooper.com is another one. Online auctions. We have um, HubZoo, which is national. Um, auction.com, which is national. And so all, all of those different sites, you can get, um, you can buy either foreclosures, but some of them sell um, auction off um, pre-foreclosures and, and short sales. But that's how you get the list. And then some people, if, if you were to ask me, what's the best list to call? If you're calling list, if you're calling list or you're getting a virtual assistant to call list for you, um, I always believe that the best list to call are the pre-foreclosures because they're highly motivated to sell, highly motivated to sell. So the pre-foreclosure list. And so a couple of you guys asked that question, um, where do I get the pre-foreclosures? Um, I would definitely call those lists, Red X, List Source, Listability, all, all those places I just mentioned. All right, if I choose, um, so here's another question. If I choose a name, if I choose a new business name as an investor, do I need to register that business name? Yeah, any, anytime you have a new LLC, you've got to register it. Um, you know, whether you're registering it in, in you know, wherever. Pennsylvania, Delaware, um, Maryland, DC, Virginia, wh wherever. Um, yeah, LLC. You've got to you've got to register that that LLC. Um, how how does a subject two deal work? So I've mentioned subject two, and I got a question. How does that work? Let me just give you a brief description. So we talk about creative financing. We we talk about creative financing. Creative financing really is kind of defined by, and, and the way I define it is really, really putting together a deal creatively where you're not necessarily getting a loan from a lender. Now, sometimes, and I'll explain, I'll, I'll do some creative financing where I'll get a loan from a hard money lender 
and use a private lender to finance the closing costs and in the first draw of the uh, renovation so that I'm actually flipping a property without putting up any of my own money. And so that's creative financing too. Um, lease options are cre uh, creative financing. You guys know what um, lease options are. Owner financing, where the owner of the property actually um, acts as the bank. They'll allow you to, um, they'll take a hold a note for you, either in first position or um, a second position. So sometimes, sometimes I've, I've done deals where the hard money lender uh, was in first position. Um, they financed the acquisition costs, and then the homeowner took a second position behind the hard money lender, and they financed the rehab costs for me. And so that's creative financing. Subject to though, <clears throat> is you're buying the property subject to the existing mortgage. So you're keeping the existing mortgage on the property. So subject to really work where the homeowner's distressed. <clears throat> it's either a pre-foreclosure or they're really behind on the mortgage. Or <clears throat> one time I bought a property where, where it needed so much work. There was little to no plumbing. The electrical was going out. They were current on their mortgage, but they didn't have the money to fix up the property. And so instead of selling the property, they um, they called me. I, I assessed the situation. I said, well, look, here's what I can do. If you can move out, <clears throat> I can renovate the property. I'll give you some money to move out. I can re I'll renovate the property. And after I renovate the property, I'll give you uh, in that case was twenty thousand dollars. And then I keep the rest. And by doing so, uh, you'll make actually more money than you would if I was to buy it now. Um, and it'll save me money because I don't have to go through two settlements, meaning a settlement when I buy the, when I purchase the property from them. And then another settlement when I actually sell the property, there's, there's, there's no lender fees or anything like that. There's no points or interest or anything like that. I'm just taking over yours. And they agreed to do that. And so that's really what subject two is. The, uh, one of the most recent subject two deals I, I've, I've done, actually one of the wholesalers was cold calling pre foreclosures. And they got a, they got a lady that was on a pre foreclosure list on the line. She said, I'm an investor. Um, I'm interested in buying um, your property. I'm interested in giving you a cash offer. Are you interested? She said, yes. And the wholesaler, uh, was actually one of my coaching students, couldn't make the appointment, asked me to go. I went to the appointment. <clears throat> she was probably about 20 days from the auction date. Um, she was in tears. I said, we need to move fast. I said, um, she already had a place to move to. <clears throat> um, she was happy to break even. She just didn't want a foreclosure on her credit. And so I said to her, I'll give you um, $5,000 to move out, moving expenses. And when I sell the property, I'll give you another $5,000. I'll take over your note. I'll bring it current. I'll make the mortgage payments. And then once I renovate the property and sell it, I'll give you another $5,000 for coming to settlement 
signing all the settlement documents. Because keep in mind, the way I did it was I kept I kept the the um, the mortgage note in her name. So when I ran the when I ran the mail formula and looked at what I can sell it for versus what she owed on the property, um, and then on top of what she owed on the property, what her arrearage was because I had to pay off the arrearage. And so when I ran all the numbers, including the arrearage that I had to pay, which was about sixteen thousand dollars. Um, the numbers worked. It, it met the Mayo formula at 70% of the after repair value minus repair costs. And so we entered into a deal. She signed the deal. I put a lien on the property so that she couldn't sell it from up under me. And then um, I, I renovated the property, put it on the market for sale. You know, I gave her the $5,000 when she signed the initial. And then uh, once we got a contract, now keep in mind the house is still in her name. She signed the contract. Um, the buyer, you know, they did their home inspection and everything. 30 days came. This homeowner, she came to settlement, signed the closing documents on that, on the, on the, um, on the HUD. It said that she was going to get her bottom line was the $5,000. And then there was a line item for me of what, what whatever I, I made on the deal, probably $50,000. There's a line item for me there. And so that's an example of a subject too. Every deal, every house that I look at, you guys, my first thought when I look at a property, my first thought is, is there a way <clears throat> in this deal that I can buy it creatively without having to go to a bank and get a loan? Like, how it, it does, and there's different scenarios, maybe. Next week or the week after, you know, we'll, we'll we'll do a whole segment on creative financing and I'll give you a bunch of uh, case studies. But that that's what I do. And so I look for I want to buy things creatively because it just saves you a lot of money, it saves you on closing costs. It saves you on all the mortgage fees, points, interest, all that kind of stuff. Down payment. It just saves you a lot of money. Um, so I try to do that whenever I can. <clears throat> so Nikki's asking, what's the difference between a specialty lender and a hard money lender? I'm not quite sure what a specialty lender is. I don't know if a specialty lender, I think they're all kind of the same, including a hard money lender. Um, a specialty lender is probably um, like an individual that lends money. I mean, they're lending money from like a 401k or savings. They're just lending money, <clears throat> just much like a hard money lender. A hard money lender um, could be just an individual that just started a business, raised money, and they're lending. And so they're probably a hard money lender. In most cases, they're paying out a total of around 8% from the morrow that they've borrowed from friends, family members, <clears throat> banks, and then charging you a premium when they lend you the money. So they could be paying out, they're, if they're paying a bank, I mean, they're probably paying a bank about 5% and then charging you up to 12% on that same money. If they're borrowing money from friends, if they've raised the money, a hard, in which a lot of hard money lenders do, they're paying back their family and friends 6%, 7%, 8%, 
but they're charging you <clears throat> sometimes 10% and three points, which is really 13%. So that's all a hard money lender. So I would imagine a specialty lender and a hard money lender is, is, is probably the same thing. <clears throat> all right, so, so, so Greg has a question, correct me if I'm wrong, but when, when you, let me, let me, I think I can, can I put this up here? Okay, I can put this up here. All right, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you make a profit from flipping a, a house, this is considered earned income. If so, what can we write off for tax purposes? It, it is earned income, but it's a capital gain. And yes, it's a taxable um, event. Um, what can you what can you write off? I mean, any expense, any expense you can write off, like all the expenses in the deal, all, everything that you've paid a contractor, all all of the material costs um, you can you can um, you can write off. And so I, I would consult with an accountant. But yeah, that capital gain. So one of the negatives, you guys, one of the negatives of a um, of flipping properties and, and some people they don't flip because of the capital gain is it's a it's a big you know it's a capital gain so it's a big taxable event that you've got to pay off i mean i i've, I've had issues um with taxes like almost you know here and there almost my whole career to be honest with you because you know sometimes you're just not mindful of paying those taxes and you're doing a lot of flips at the same time you really want to be paying quarterly taxes. And sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And then now I've got to pay, <clears throat> play catch up. And so, yes, you've got to find ways to, um, to actually um, write, write those things off. Now, there's other ways, you guys, and, and, and Greg, there's 1031 exchanges where you can defer the, um, the taxes on that capital gain. Um, if you're, if you're using money out of like a solo 401k, you can bring all the money, all that capital gain back tax deferred and, and not pay taxes on it right away. You pay taxes on it down the line and keep flipping that property. And so that, and again, that's, that's another topic for another day, but, um, tax shelters, retirement shelters, that's going to, um, um, shield you from having to pay that capital gain right away. Those are some of the things that you want to do. All right, so let, let's answer a couple other questions. We're doing we're doing good on time. For short sales, do I need an agreement to get the seller under contract? All right, yeah. So um, most lenders won't even look at at a contract unless you're working with a um, realtor. So they don't, most lenders, they don't want to work directly with a buyer. And so they're not going to even look at the short sale until they have a contract. And so as a buyer, if you find a property that's a short sale, you've got to go through that agent. Almost, I'll say 90% of all short sales are listed with an agent. You've got to go through that agent to um to submit that contract to the lender so yes you have to do that um, can a real estate agent work remotely 
or must the real estate agent be located in the state of the short sale? So another short sale question. Um, agents work remotely. Like you can work remotely, but the real estate agent has to be licensed in the state of the property. I have agents that work for me that they work for me here in the DMV. They're licensed. I've got a few that are licensed in Florida. Even though they're here, they're working remotely in Florida, but they have a license in Florida so they can do business. And a lot of them do business in Florida, even though they're not there. And so they represent sellers to do short sales and and uh, people on vacation who are going out to look ho at homes like they're doing all those kinds of things. They're working remotely, but they are licensed in that jurisdiction. Okay, here's a good question, you guys. How do I verify funds from a cash buyer? And do I call the lender? <clears throat> so that's a good question. So number one, I really only want you working with cash buyers that you guys know. Like that, that would be my preference, to only work with cash buyers that you know. Now, say for example, <clears throat> you have a property, um, under contract that you're wholesaling, you don't have a cash buyer, so you, you're marketing the deal and you find a cash buyer. Yes, you want to get either um, proof of funds, so you need to see a bank statement if they're paying cash. And so let's say the house is, they're buying it, they're buying a property from you for 120000 you, you need to see a bank statement that says 120000 or you need to see a lender letter. If I'm your cash buyer, I'm going to I'm going to show not just you, but the seller, my lender letter from my lender and I'm happy if they call. I'm happy if you as the wholesaler call my lender to verify that I'm going to be able to get a loan. I'm going to provide a lender letter um, or I'm going to provide a bank statement. And you need to get um, a really good earnest money deposit held by a title company that you're familiar with. I had a deal today. One of my agents called me. She listed a property. An investor was put a contract on it. And so they put a contract on, I think the contract price was $580,000. And they only put up a $10,000 deposit and they ran it through me. I said, no, well, we'll Number one, generally speaking, you guys, generally speaking, and a cash buyer should be putting up a deposit of 10%. So in this case, they should have been putting up about $58,000. They only put up 10. I said at the very least, they need to put up 5%. That's like, in this case, it's about twenty-seven, $26,000, $27,000. We, we want to make sure that they're serious. And then they put that they were getting a commercial loan, but they provided a bank statement. And I said, well, they can provide a bank statement all they want. And the bank statement looks good, but they're getting a loan. <clears throat> you need to get a lender letter from the lender that they're getting the loan from, if that's what they're doing. And so you've got to verify that. I, I can tell you so many times that the cash buyer didn't deliver and the wholesaler didn't do their due diligence
to make sure in the beginning, they were hoping and praying that they would come through, didn't do their due diligence, lost the deal. The cash buyer couldn't perform and the investor had a window of time to perform because keep in mind when you're wholesaling, your name is on the line and they lost the deal, lost the deposit. And so you just gotta be mindful of that, but check that cash buyer out thoroughly. No matter who that cash buyer is, check them out thoroughly. All right, so Nikki's got, I think a sim similar question. When you sell an investment property, do you pay the capital gains then? or when you file your taxes. So it's either way, Nikki, you can pay it when you file your taxes. If you're doing like maybe one deal a year, you can pay it when you file your taxes. But I would highly recommend, honestly, paying it right then. Let's say you get a check for $70,000 and, and and it's a capital gain. I would take at least maybe 10 or 15% of that and send it into the IRS. Because guess what's going to happen with that $70,000? You're going to spend it. And then when, when it's time to pay your taxes, you're not, you're not going to have the money. And so I would highly advise <clears throat> um, paying those taxes right then and there, unless you're using um, a, defer, a deferred tax strategy like a um, 1031 exchange or something like that. <clears throat> so Gina is asking a question. Um, how do you look into tax sales? So every jurisdiction is different. But actually, Gina, that's a good question because um, tax sales are coming up. And so, like I said, every tax, every jurisdiction is different. But you've got to contact your, your jurisdiction. Um, and it's county by county, big city by big city. So in Washington, D.C., it's generally, I believe, in July. Um, and then in the counties in Maryland, they're um, in, I believe, in May. But you can Google it, Google tax sale in your location, and it'll tell you. And, and it's all online now, especially because of COVID, but it was always uh, most, most jurisdictions online. But I would just simply Google. They'll have a list. <clears throat> they'll have a list of properties that you can, um, you can actually bid on. <clears throat> so tax season is coming up. So we'll, we'll, do, um, we'll do one of our Q and A's. We'll, we'll have <clears throat> our tax sale attorney come on and really explain all that to you. All right, any other questions? Um, let me see here. I think we've answered. If I didn't, if you put in a question, I didn't answer it, you guys. Go ahead and put it in the comment section. I believe that I've answered all the questions. I did get a, lot, uh, a couple late questions. Uh, let's see. Let's see here. Um, all right. <clears throat> so here's here's a question that I got kind of late. Um, you have a you have a business. Let's say you're an accountant. Uh, you've got a dry cleaning business, whatever your business is, you're a baker and you have an LLC for that business. You find a property because you also want to start investing and you should. You find a property. The question is, should you put that property in the LLC of your dry cleaners 
or your bakery or whatever business you have? And, and my answer is I would start um, a separate LLC just for my investment business. <clears throat> Unless you have an LLC for another real estate business, real estate related business. And so like if you're a real estate agent and you're getting paid your commissions through your LLC, then it's okay initially to use that same LLC for your investment business. Once your investment business really starts rolling, then I would separate the two. Um, but if it's if your LLC is totally unrelated to real estate investing, then I would set up um, an LLC. For example, I see Andre on here. Andre has a barbershop, and I'm sure he has an LLC for his barbershop. But but <clears throat> because honestly, with his barbershop, for example, in the Articles of Incorporation, you you have to put um, what you have to put a, a description of what that LLC is doing. And so he probably put in, in the description on the Articles of Incorporation that um, the LLC is set up to run his barbershop, possibly cut hair, which has nothing to do with real estate investing. And so he needs to set up, and I'm sure he's already done it, an LLC for his investment. And then on the Articles, he's going to put... Um, to buy real estate, to sell real estate, to develop real estate, to buy and sell, develop real estate. <clears throat> and as a real estate agent, you're going to put to sell real estate. So, um, and so, and and so, so that's the answer to the question. And we got uh, Iris uh, sent that in. All right. So here's here's a question, and we're almost out of here. Greg, I got in late. I know you um are answered my question earlier on. I missed it. I'll, I'll listen to the recording. Oh, <clears throat> I'm not sure. I did answer your question um, out of BC, but I, I can't even remember which one yours was. Okay, so so Unika, if you can, put, go ahead and put your question in real quick, and then I'm, I'm happy to answer it. All right, so um, <clears throat> so Nikki's asking a really good question. When transferring from an LLC to an S corp, where should your income be? Wait, where should your income be? Um, Two hundred fifty thousand. When when transferring, where should it be? 250,000. Nikki, I don't quite understand the question. I don't quite understand that question. When transferring from an LLC to an S Corp, where should your income be? And so to transfer, it, it doesn't really matter the, the amount to transfer. And I think I, I'm starting to understand. I mean, I, I think if it's at, at least maybe $100,000, and, and sometimes some accountants will recommend if you're paying yourself, if you're paying yourself through your LLC and you're putting yourself on the payroll, then um, it's smart to transfer the LLC to an S corp and pay yourself. But it, it's what whatever it's whatever um, you pay yourself. 
on, on that. <clears throat> Okay. All right. So those, those of you who um, I didn't answer your question or you can't remember your question, I'm happy to talk to you guys offline um, and answer your questions. <clears throat> and then anybody else, if you have any questions, please answer. I apologize if I didn't get to your question, um, but you can hurry up and put it in the comment box or uh, we'll talk offline. Um, I do. I do want to mention you guys. I, I said this earlier. It, here's the key to your success, you guys. I mean, you can be on these calls um, and you can learn as much about real estate investing um, as you can. And some of you guys know a whole lot about real estate investing, but it's not until you start to take action that you're going to start making money. And things are going to start changing for for you. You've got to take action. I mean, that's that's the key to your success. Um, it, and it's all a mindset. Like you you've got to really focus on taking action. Um, I, I remember my first year selling real estate. I had already started investing, but then I said, "Well, let me get my license," <clears throat> and I joined a brokerage, and. In my first year of selling real estate, I didn't know anything about selling real estate, but I was the number one agent in my office come the end of the year because all I did was just take action. I just focused on lead generation, um, trying to get leads in, buyers and seller leads, because I knew that, you know, I've got a business background. And so I just focused on getting deals, um, getting leads to take out buyers, to list sellers' houses. And I knew that the educational part of it would catch up. The more deals I did, the more I would learn. But I just focused on that. And everybody in my office hated me because I was young. I was energetic. I was taking action. And they all hated me. I didn't know. They knew 10 times more about selling real estate than I did. I was the number one agent because I was bam, 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 taking action. And that's what you've got to do. You've got to take action, you guys. You've got to take action. And you've got to take action every single day. No days off, you guys. Um, this is the beginning of the year. You guys should be going 90 days with no days off. 90 days until the end of March, no days off. You cannot afford to take a day off um, You know, if you're trying to retire financially free. If you're trying to leave a legacy, if you're, if you're trying to build generational wealth, you can't take days off, you guys. That that's what this is not built for days off. It's not built for. It's not you got every day work eight hours. No, that's not what I'm saying. But at least spend an hour every day, two hours every day, focused on lead generation, focused on finding deals, focus on building your cash buyers list. Focus on raising money to do more deals, hour or two a day. Focused on winning. Focused on taking action. Focused on dominating. You've got to dominate the market, you guys. You've got to dominate and things will start to change. Okay, a couple more questions then I'm going to get you out of here. <clears throat> 
All right, is it recommended to obtain a Home Depot credit card? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can you can really track um, your expenses. You can ex you can track your deals. Um, they'll ask you, um, let, let's, let's say you've got a plumber that's buying plumbing material or you're buying. They will ask you at, at Home Depot, what job is this assigned to? And they'll assign it to a job. And then um, I, I have a Home Depot card. And then at the end of the year or every so often, I'll check to see what are all my expenses for my Main Street property that I spent at Home Depot and it's all right there for me. And so absolutely. And, and then there's a lot of benefits. There's a lot of benefits, um, rewards, bonuses, discounts at Home Depot um, for using their credit card. So that that's a really, really, really good question. Um, let's answer this question. Is it recommended? Nope, already answered that question. I thought I saw, okay, here we go. Um, do you have a list of typical holding costs, rehab costs, and any other costs involved? So that's a good question. Um, tip, typical cost, and it varies. I don't like giving out costs because it varies from lender to lender. But um, so rehab cost. Rehab cost, Unica, is going to be somewhere around 20% of the after repair value. That's generally going to be the rehab cost on probably 80% of your projects is going to be 20% of the after repair value. For example, if after repair value is um, $400,000, when you renovate the property, you'll be able to sell it for $400,000. Rehab cost should be about 20% of that, which is $80,000. Um, holding costs, it just depends. Um, generally speaking, holding costs is like utilities. <clears throat> so utilities are your typical utilities. You're going to be paying, I don't know, $100, $150 a month for if it's got gas, electric, water. Um, you're going to pay for utilities. Uh, with most, almost with all of my lenders, I don't pay monthly. And so with my hard money lenders, I mean, if I use my line of credit, then I, I, I do pay monthly. But generally with the hard, with, with either a private lender that I use or a hard money lender, I don't pay monthly. I, I pay at the end of the project. So there's no cost um, related there. And then there's some, um, there's some other costs that, yeah, that we'll discuss, but those, those are definite, those are good questions. Um, home debt, credit card, established business. <clears throat> all right, so all right, Troy says he, absolutely. So he needs help with um, the purchase agreement. Absolutely. So just contact me. We'll do a class. We'll we'll do um, we'll, we'll go over contracts. You guys got to learn your contracts. You're going to find a deal, and nobody's going to be around, and and the motivated seller is going to say, "Yeah, I'm ready to sign a contract." You can't be, I don't know how to write a contract. Learn how to write your contracts, you guys. Most of you guys have our eight-week course. Most of you guys have our eight-week course. In our eight-week course, week seven, I go over contracts, you guys. 
I go over contracts in our eight-week course. If you want, if you don't have our eight-week course, and I know you guys do, but I'll just mention it anyway. Go to wholesaleforprofits.com, wholesaleforprofits.com to get our eight-week course. I'm going to help you, Troy, but um, and in our eight-week course, week seven, I go line for line over contracts. You will know how to write contracts. Um, let's see. Nikki is saying Home Depot cards. Um, good job, Nikki. Home Depot cards, they help establish business credit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, that's good. All right. Andre is saying, go harder, go home. Let's go, Andre. Andre, I'm going to be up in uh, Baltimore on Saturday. Uh, let me know if you're going to be up there. I'll be there Saturday looking at some properties. All right, let's go, you guys. I think we've answered all the questions. Hit me offline um, if I didn't answer your questions. You guys, follow me. Follow me, follow me. Follow me on Instagram, Greg Bennett Invest. Greg Bennett Invest, follow me on Instagram. Look, let's win this. This let's win this year, 2021. It's time to wake up and go. Let's go. Let's start now. You guys should be tomorrow. What are you going to do? Start posting on social media, driving for dollars, getting your bandit signs, um, ordering direct mail pieces to go to absentee owners or or, or pre foreclosures. Do something. Don't do all of those things, but do one thing, one thing that's going to change your life. You've got to do one thing. And if you do nothing, obviously, you know, you're not going to get any results, but you got to do one thing. And so here's what I want you to ask yourself. What's the one thing I'm going to do tomorrow that's a baby step? That's going to change my life. That's going to help change my life. A little baby step in the right direction. What's the one thing? Write it down. Write it down now. Write it down tonight. Do it. Do that one thing. And then the next day, do one little thing again. One little baby step. Those little baby steps, you know, they add up. They add up to big leaps, big jumps big money. And that's what I want for you. And that's what I, I want you to want for yourself. So let's go, you guys. Follow me on Instagram, Greg Bennett Invest. Let's have a great week. Let's do something to build wealth for ourselves. Let's take action. Even if that baby step is to send me a, a message saying, can you answer this question? Can you help me with this? Or calling someone else, calling a family member, a friend, you know, anyone that's looking to sell their house. Do one thing, you guys. Let's change our lives. Let's change our lives. Let's start building generational wealth. We talk a lot about that. Nobody really does it. You do it. You be the first one in your family that builds generational wealth. All right, you guys. God bless. Good night. And I will talk to you soon. Take care. Let's go. Let's go.